Recorded in the darkest dungeons of the basement of Death Studio, Josh, Troy, and Ty present a show dedicated to bringing you, the listener, into the adventure right along with them. Pick up your sword or load your bolt gun, but don't forget your helmet, because it is time for some playin' and slayin'. From the BOD studio, it is playing and slaying episode 22. I'm gonna say the episode from here on out. Every episode, the number. So, I mean, that's good. Yeah, don't you always counting? I don't think I do. I think sometimes I forget. Hmm. But you know what? I'm not gonna forget is what we're talking about on the show tonight, gentlemen. I'm ready. So, we're gonna kick off with what we've been playing extended Gen Con edition. Because <laughs> uh, if you didn't listen to us for two hours and 45 minutes already on last episode, we've got more playing for you. We've also been doing some additional hobbying, building and painting of miniature toy soldiers and terrain. Tell you a little bit more about that. And if we've been doing any purchasing, kickstarting, or other uh, general hobby gaming awareness, we will open back up the doors to the Basement of Death Library, talk about what we've been reading. Um, and or listening to, watching, uh, kind of a um, pop culture media update from the the hosts of Plan and Slan. And then we're going to do a new feature segment, hashtag beyond the table and behind the mic. And we're going to get into the head of the true beard, Josh Koopman tonight. So Troy and I have some interview mm-hmm. questions ready to go. Josh hasn't seen them, so he will be giving us a uh, an instinctual response. I'm I'm scared. Hey, yeah. Buckle up, Buttercup. Click. <laughs> so, gentlemen, when you are playing and slaying, it's important to stay hydrated. We did not have a sponsor for this episode, um, but if anyone you know out there wants to sponsor, give us a, a big bomber to share. We will certainly sing your praises and talk about what a wonderful person you are, like Neil from work. Neil from work. Well, we're kind of self-sponsored, right? Because I I got Josh his drink, and Josh got me my drink. And I always just mooch off, Josh. Hmm. Tonight was a tough one, though. I opened up the the fridges here in the the studio. I looked and I thought, man, I don't want any of this stuff. And it's not that it's bad. There's a lot of really good choices. But I just had a a bit of analysis paralysis at the the fridges. So I looked to the hard stuff on the shelf. (laughs) And I was like, yes. So I mixed up uh, some Kinnikinick whiskey from Rehorse Distilling here in uh, Hmm. Great Lakes. Is it Great Lakes? Great Lakes. Great. Yep. 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 The Rehorse brand. Um, they're blended whiskey. Pretty good. Um, smooth. Added a little Zevia for uh, caffeine and flavor. Also to offend and, Will Conway. Saying, and for Will. <laughs> yep. So. Yep. Mainly to offend Will. That's why I do a lot of things in life. Um, Troy, you are drinking Windex? I am drinking Windex. It's been a while, but the classic house cocktail... With ice, I with hear ice. it clinking. Yep. It's a lovely sound. That's how you know we're drinking on the show, because we clink our ice. Yep. <laughs> Josh, what do you got? I've got Everlasting Gamer, 
uh, Sun King Brewery, uh, the Gen Con 51 beer. Uh, it's an American Amber Ale, and it's pretty good. Uh, this was given to me by Troy Weiss. Wonderful. Thank you, Troy. Yep, because we did, as I talked about, we on our way out, last thing we do, that's how we close our Gen Con. So we swing by on Sunday, we swing by Sun King and buy a bunch of beer, usually. So. And Troy threw a couple in my fridge, so I'm like, I'm, what, what better time to drink them? <laughs> All right, so now that we are whistles wetted, so to speak, we will get into the playing segment of the show. Do you guys have, have you played anything since the last time, or should I just go right into the, uh, the extended Gen Con? You, you can go right yeah, into it. Do it up, man. All right, no video games, mobile games. I played a little Madden 19. Oh, you got the new Madden. Mm-hmm, I did. Thoughts? Anything new and exciting on it? Um, they sh- shifted some of the defaults. I set them back to the way I like them. But okay. Other than that, I mean, it's... it's Improved physics? A uh, little bit, yeah. I mean, they, they always make it a little bit better every year, so it's pretty good. But Sweet. Yeah, I like it. It's good. I'll have to pick it up so we can play. Mm-hmm, indeed. Head-to-head. Mano-a-mano. Boom. Boom. All right, well, back to the tabletop. Uh, at Gen Con, I had a chance to play a game I've wanted to play for the last year or two since it came out called Innis. Uh, Inish, maybe, how it's pronounced? I, I, I don't know. I think it's Innis. I think it's Innis. Innis or Inish. Uh, I-N-I-S. It's set in ancient Ireland. Uh, ultimately, it is a guys-on-the-map area control game, um, but it has some really unique mechanics to it. So... Sat down and played a three-player game with uh, Matt and Barry. And the game begins with drafting of 13 action cards. You discard one off to the side. You shuffle up and deal out the other 12. Then you draft them in a really unique way. You like you keep one past three. Then you get those. You keep two past two. Then you keep three past one. So it's like a three-round draft um, where you're not. You know, you're starting with keeping three cards, then two, then one. Um, And those action cards are played on your turn, and you're ultimately trying to fulfill victory conditions. Um, Did you guys get much of a chance to to see it at all, or...? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I sat in... Because I'd been interested in that that game for a while, because it's kind of like in that same series with, right, uh, Kemet... Kemet and and Cyclades. And then Ennis is, I think, the newest one. Um, So I've been interested in that. From looking at the box and seeing it played, I didn't realize that the board was modular and how it can. Yeah. So that really kind of gave it a real different Kind of these look. triangular tiles that have three different landscapes within them. And when you control the landscape, you actually get a card for that that can be played as an action card. Um, <clears throat> one player is the, the Bren. It's like the chieftain over chiefs, basically. So you're trying to become the king of Ireland. And to do that, you have to either have more people under your control you have to control sanctuaries um or uh have yourself in six different territories or more so chieftain over six tribes of other players um six territories or be in places with six six sanctuaries so you can build these sanctuaries which are a victory condition and you win by fulfilling one or more of the victory conditions at any point in the game. So it becomes that stopping another player who you see creeping up on victory conditions. But there are other th- weird ways you can get these tokens that 
deed tokens that let you basically fake a victory condition. So say I have five territories, but I have a deed token. I can spend that deed token to give me the six that I need to fulfill a victory condition. You accrue like these epic uh, cards from different events, and they're like the Dagda or some of the um, some of the stuff from Myth of of Ireland. Now, are, are deed tokens secret? Or do does everybody uh, know them? So you you know when you acquire them, but they can only be fulfilled one. So you got to be paying attention, okay, <clears throat> to if players have deed tokens, and then what the board state is, because yeah. you can really see this coming. You you know the state of victory. Yeah, you just have to remember and be cognizant of. Oh yeah, he's got right. Okay, it's yeah, it's not super secret. It just um, you just got to remember the that they had of, it. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Um, and then combat is, is resolved in kind of a take that, like there's no dice rolling, there's no card play starting with the person that was the invader you can move or invaded. You can move people into strongholds to take like refuge. And then if you have any troops that are left out, you alternate back and forth, either getting rid of one of your troops or discarding one of your action cards from your hand. So it becomes a, uh, a a bit of a standoff and are you going to keep discarding cards before you start taking casualties and then if you both decide to stop the fight you can end the fight but it has to be mutual agreement so (laughs) the very first combat matt and barry discarded every card in their hand and killed the guy and just (laughs) went like and then realized oh crap when you when you do that you leave yourself you know short so sometimes it's better just to take the hit get rid of the guy keep your cards and, and move on interesting mechanics i still i like kemet more than i liked innis um kemet with the the monsters and just some of the the way that combat is resolved with the cards and building up your power i I liked a little more but innis drafting the action cards and action cards driving what you can do in a turn i thought was really Mm -hmm. cool as well um kind of had that rising sun now i i saw a a big you know, kind of a dotted line, I guess, from Innis to Rising mm-hmm. Sun, how the actions are, you're playing those action tokens that let you move a troop or mm-hmm. let you deploy something. Whereas in Kemet, you're making those choices on your own mm-hmm. to move your guys or to place new guys out. Um, the cards drove it in Innis, and I saw that. That is clear to me that that's where that inspiration came from in Rising Sun. So it, I don't know if I'll buy it. Um if I found it for a really good deal sometime, I'll probably pick it up just to, to get to the table. It it did make me want to get Kemet back out. Yeah. <laughs> so when we think about kind of our uh, resurrection reviews, yeah. that might be a good one to to dig out and dust off. You're the one that owns Kemet. So. Yeah, I'll, I'll bring it out. And would you say, now, is Ennis a little lighter game, or is it similar similar weight, just a little Sim- different? Similar weight, different. Um you you have to make some very tough choices and you have to strategize and plan carefully once you're familiar with what the action cards are you never know which one's discarded through process of elimination in the draft you can kind of have some guesses which one may not be in but it it is definitely tough to select that hand and then the order to play cards because there's some very hard denial cards where you can just stop something from happening um, you have to be aware of provoking when you invade someone, it can be very bad. So you have to be aware of where you're moving into and is it going to 
provoke a uh, like a confrontation, a conflict. So less to track than Kemet, I think. You know, without the like Kemet has the pyramids that you're tracking the values of and the prayers that you're spending. There's less currency and um, but you you have to be hyper aware of the board state in in Innis. All right, I've also um, broken the shrink wrap open on Detective Uh-oh. from Portal Games. I want to uh, hear about this one. So Nicole and I opened it up, and amazing, just amazing. When you open it, it there's a case file that's like sealed. Um, I won't. I'm gonna. I'm gonna be spoiler light. So I'm gonna be cognizant of this game being um, five plays ultimately or you know more like we didn't finish the first case we got about halfway and then stopped for the night um but you have five cases you have a case book that sets the scene and then you have a deck of cards and you read the initial paragraph or two about the case and then it gives you and the magnifying glass right (laughs) no magnifying glass (laughs) it gives you a list of leads and those leads are numbered and they represent cards in that deck each case deck has about 35 40 cards Mm -hmm. they say during the place during the play of a game you're only going to see about half of those maybe slightly over half so you're not going to be able to follow all the leads and that's because each lead tells you a location and if you have to travel you move the group token around the board and it takes an hour to travel to any of the other sites. Mm-hmm. And then each lead card has a time amount on it. Like it might say two hours or four hours if it's an interrogation. Then you count that time off. And you have from 8 a.m. until 4 p.m. each day. Then you can work overtime. But every hour you work overtime, you accrue a stress token. And each case has a stress limit where you lose if you get it. So the first case stress limit is seven. So we can work seven overtime hours. If you file a report, so you take an hour during the day and file it, write a report, you can earn like one victory point. They have these stars that are like objective tokens. And then it's really cool how those add up with then you take a, a quiz at the end online. So everything is you <laughs> log in and um, you t- answer questions. And if you answer, I don't know, you get zero points. If you answer incorrectly, you lose a point. And then it scores your success on the case after you answer that series mm-hmm. of questions and final file your final report. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, different tokens you can do to push a little further and turn a card over and look at the backside. Um, there's one part where, you know, it, it tells you to, like, look somewhere you hadn't looked yet. Um, in the database, you log... It'll give you personal files. You can log ID numbers that come off fingerprints or other things that you follow leads, and it starts to give you a case file in the database that you log into. So then you can go back and forth and reference who that person was or look at where the fingerprint, and it matches like the fingerprints. It'll tell you once you enter it a second time, oh, this matches the fingerprints that were found on the box that you found in the office. You know, it'll give you like... so. It, everything is just really in depth, incredibly well written. I mean, the the storyline is is really cool, and it, it feels like you'll never get to the bottom of everything that's happening because they write these leads in a way that you start to see these other stories. We're investigating this one crime. It takes us to a case file from a crime that happened forty years ago. And then you're looking at that case file to try to find out who these people were and where they connect. 
and you know that they're not all supposed to connect so you're chasing down leads that are bogus and you're running out of time right and everything you do takes time and then it'll give you the choice of oh you can go interview this person but you know if you do that you got to travel to another Mm -hmm. site you got to take three hours to interrogate them probably so it's like do we even draw the lead card (laughs) no let's just go back to base and headquarters and research this So you're doing all this and taking your notes. We've started filling out like a, like writing notes nope. because you then got to figure out, okay, where, where are we going next? How does this connect? So, you know, like the crazy person mind wall where you yeah. have like yarn connected to posters. <laughs> <laughs> they recommend in the rule book, yeah. like you should have a whiteboard and, and do that just, to connect who these people are and <laughs> who's married to who and when did this person die and this person was born so you can get timelines that span across like decades. It's That's cool. It's and it, I mean, you're basically, it sounds like you, I mean, you are in that investigation room. You're in yeah, the room yeah. in the police station that has the whiteboard that has all the stuff, right? That you see in every one of these they, cop shows, right? And like, absolutely. And they give you five character cards that you can be. So like one is an ex cop, he gives you a number of tokens of a specific type, and then he has a, an ability, a once-per-day ability. So, like, the ex-cop that I'm playing as, when he writes a report, he gets two objective tokens instead of one. So he, he knows how to do his paperwork. <laughs> um, we ran out of time in day one and didn't oh. file a report. I'm like, oh, I wonder if you can work overtime to file a report. And it says, no, you cannot work overtime to file your oh. report. <laughs> and then Nicole was like... a forensic psychologist or some other role that gave a different type of token and and lets a player reset their skills so like the three you don't use then become consultants and you flip them over to their backside and they just provide certain types of investigative tokens for you so you're using this team to pursue your leads and do your research um it's it's like time stories on steroids. I mean, yeah. it's just so good and so deep. Yeah, I'm so I'm really excited to get a chance because I haven't heard anybody really have much bad to say. I mean, it's I'm looking. It's eight point seven on Board Game Geek right now, which is a pretty decent score. Mm-hmm. I don't know where that puts it in the top. I imagine it'll be interesting to see where it ends up as it gets enough 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 plays to hit the algorithm and see there. But I've, yeah, all I've heard is so good feedback on it and the writing is fantastic like it sets the scene and you'll be driving you go to like follow a lead and it tells you about the waiting room of this place and what the person's like and how they act towards you then you go into the database to read the file they give you so like Mm -hmm. it sets the narrative and then everything takes place in the database so you need an internet connection we each had our ipad out um that was actually what i was going to ask so uh, the uh, the online part of it is is mobile friendly yep yep uh the database is is mobile friendly i wouldn't do it on a phone because it's like a lot of reading so you want to i'd say you want a tablet or a a laptop okay um just because phone you'd be constantly having to scroll and blow up and move things sure okay cool but uh then it'll tell you like parts that it'll highlight or underline things that you're supposed to research on external like google or wikipedia it'll give you like a name Otherwise, it tells you explicitly, unless it's one of those things, don't go out and Google or um, read up on it. Only stick to those things and then what's in the database. So, incredibly cool. I I think there's a way you could probably, if you're someone that has played it, you could play it again and take a little bit more of a backseat role. Or let someone else choose like what leads and Mm -hmm. then still participate in in research. Mm -hmm. Um I don't think you'd want to play the first case like 
five, six times. But if you get it wrong, they say you can go back and try it again. Mm-hmm. So I could see that being beneficial. Um, so I'd, I'd certainly, you know, start case one over with another group. Um, and just not try not to be like, oh, well, this guy mm-hmm. is important. Or no, we need to go here so we can get this other yeah. lead that matters. And are they sequential or is it? Yeah. yeah. So the five cases um, are all separate cases, but there's one underlying narrative cool. that you start to identify and, and f- right. follow like deeper into. Right. And I believe there's certain things that can carry over, right? Like it'll yeah. tell you, I think I, you, you play it, but my understanding is like, there'll be a card that says, Hey, you need to save this. And right. then it goes out or something. I haven't seen any that okay. tells you to hang on to it, but anything you uncover, any lead you follow can be referenced later. So your database, you can always go okay. back in and view something. If in a future case, you see a name pop up, you can go reference the personal file mm-hmm. from a different okay. one or or look, if the fingerprint hits the, on something or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. So the more you uncover, the better your chances are of finding future things. Um, but at some point, I know we're just going to hit this curve where we've spent too long <laughs> researching uh, and following these other leads where we haven't gotten far enough to figure out what actually happened. But fantastic game, incredible storyline, um, and really cool to see how the, the app integrated. Um, it's truly you log into a database, and then it starts tracking and referencing what, and you can search the database for names or yeah, items that is um, really neat. To, to reference what you found. So. Yep. And I love like talking about how you, there's also you can also research real things on yeah. Wikipedia and other yeah other stuff there, like that. There's yeah. like a, a World War II reference at one point that a specific like army or you know mm-hmm. unit or something, and it references this and it tells you you can go look. So then we went and read about this division of the army and why it was important. And so that's Detective from Portal Games by Ignacy Trebicek who continues to just do amazing, amazing things between uh, 51st State that we love, um, Imperial Settlers, that's a really good game, Robinson Crusoe. I mean, the guy's just uh, established a track record that's pretty fantastic. Whew. All right, tabletop gaming to my phone. You asked about if it was mobile-friendly. Um, <laughs> so at Gen Con, Barry was constantly playing this, uh, this game called Empires and Puzzles. Recently, myself and Matt also have started playing Empires and Puzzles. <laughs> it is a, uh, it's like a role-playing mobile game with like exploration and city building. It's crazy. It's just so deep. But all the combat is resolved with like a bejeweled type. Um, <laughs> oh, that's what you were doing. All right. Yeah, that's how you resolve combat. Uh, so the different colored like shields represent your different characters and their attack. So the strong, the more symbols you match, the stronger their attack power comes into it. It's just like real life. It's yep. just like real life. Yeah. Um, but oh my goodness, is it addictive? And to get into alliances, uh, like guilds in essence, you need to have a certain number of trophies from raiding other players. So I got in the Dungeons and Dragons, the uh, the alliance with Matt. We're trying to grind out to 800 trophies so we can get into the Green Bay Packers, which is Barry's alliance that he's in right now. So 
it's true every few hours when your cooldowns are up you know you want to be in there and <laughs> upgrading your next building <laughs> making your raid fighting the titans so there are these titan events that happen and alliances need to do 1.25 million damage to it I, when i go in and attack i do like 3000 damage you know so <laughs> it's uh it's awesome super addictive put some money into it already to get the gem packs because you know to summon the epic heroes you got to pay them pay the real money you gotta you gotta pay the real money so empires and puzzles find in your app store google play or itunes highly recommend all right ty your other my other addiction addiction. yeah uh so mage it's been a while since i i gave a dark milwaukee update um some interesting stuff is happening. Uh, we found out that Tom's character, um, who, he's, who we've known as the spawn of Lucifer, his, Lucifer is his dad. We found that out a while back, and uh, now other Lucifer children are around, and like he's all buddy-buddy with them. We're like, stop the devil stuff, man. This isn't good for things. My character wants to kill his character. We're just in, we're in rough shape. And then, um, oh yeah, I summoned a hurricane spirit oh, cool an incredibly powerful spirit when we were in new orleans oh, i was saying how did a hurricane in milwaukee yeah we so really had i that. accrued i accrued a lot of paradox we're in new orleans so there's okay. a weird connection between new orleans and milwaukee <laughs> mm-hmm. um and uh i went to the levee and summoned a hurricane and actually flooded parts of new orleans because tropical storm mm-hmm. blew in but then the cool part was i put it in my sword Wow. Turn my sword into a fetish item. So a super powerful, like magical artifact Mm -hmm. that now has elements of the spirit, the actual like hurricane spirit attack that I can channel. Mm -hmm. See, Ty, when we went to New Orleans, uh, there was the drink called the hurricane. That's what I thought you were saying. Oh, I mean, no, no, no. force of nature. (laughs) That would be a great power, right? Instantly summon hurricanes on demand. Right. And then put it in your sword. Right. Well, what's what's cool is with matter. (laughs) The sphere of matter, one of the spheres of magic, you could easily make alcohol. There you go. I'm going to hurricane. Yeah. So I think you need a dagger that goes with your sword that makes the liquid hurricanes versus. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess the other yeah. the other one's liquid too. They're both liquid. We were, um, the we're, one that tastes better. We were supposed to go to war with the super powerful vampire in New Orleans, uh, but some weird alliance and deal got struck. And meanwhile, I'd. Paul's introduced these systems where you can take on permanent paradox. Paradox and mage is like reality's way of fighting back. And when you screw up your magic, paradox hurts you. So the more permanent paradox you have, the closer to being a marauder, which is somebody that's totally out of reality. Um, And your wheel can hold 20 of that. Um, And usually if you get above two, it's really bad. We had a a way to reduce it. We got down to zero. And I now have exceeded what I previously had um because there's an ability where you can name what the dice roll was by accruing a permanent paradox so like you roll your seven dice and i say they're all tens and that in my specialty each success as a 10 is doubled Mm -hmm. so it's 14 successes which is a near godlike Mm -hmm. feat of magic so i've done that a few times and now i have five permanent paradox i'm a quarter of the way to not being playable Only a quarter. You're fine. Three quarters of the way playable. Mm-hmm. Three fine. quarters yep. of the way. 75% okay. Yep. yep. It's not 25% bad. It's yep. 75% good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So some powerful magic, a lot of fun, 
playing that almost weekly, if not every other week, is is pretty awesome. Whew, playing. All right. Some playing. Luckily, Ty's been playing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, playing a lot. So I've just been looking at games. <laughs> <laughs> but we've uh, we've got a big event coming. We do. Two days, we'll all be playing. Mm-hmm. So, L- little uh, Zombicide Black Plague. Woo. And it kind of leads us into hobby, because that's what started us down this path, is we talked about how Ty had gone on his bender of painting every single Zombicide Seventy-four heroes from season one, Black Plague. And so he's kind of like, well, maybe I should play with these. Let's get together and play with these things. So so I think, yeah, because we pull together, we're going to do a little bit of a custom scenario, pull out Josh's wonderful 3D tiles. We have some, I think I have a map. I took one of the existing, I think it's from one of, actually one of the, um, uh, ex- campaigns that's on the website the, the scenario there and it looks oh this will be good um and i won't get too many surprises there's a bunch of a-bombs in it that's all all we know but we're all experienced so i think we'll try and throw the throw the kitchen sink at us yeah. and see how we do we'll six, to right. eight, six to eight player game yeah, we'll get we'll crazy fine. um so really hobby i've i've just continued uh, i got the 74 heroes done so now i need to tackle the 150 zombies so I'm a tenth of the way there. I've gotten about 16, almost 20 uh, done now. So it's fun. What I will say is I'm having a lot of fun. Anytime I paint zombies, because I'm painting things to look dirty and covered in blood. So playing with dry brushing to get like worn cloth effect and like using a lot of washes of different shades in different places to make it look like stains. Um, so... I'd sprayed everything Xandry dust, which is like a necrotic flesh tone, desert yeah. tone. I don't know what to call it. It's it's like a tan. Tan. That's what I would call it. But mm-hmm. <coughs> yellow. You and I tan. are you are not qualified to make any kind of color <laughs> statements usually. Um, but uh, it, and now I'm painting things white to then come back over them with mm-hmm. different shades. So like I painted this one guy's tunic all all white and then started using Coelia green shade. And getting a really cool look, and then I added some nightshade to spots to get this bluish, greenish, like darkening, like stain mm-hmm. almost. And then I'm just lathering it in blood, so I don't know what's going to show or not. But it's it's just fun to paint in that dirty style um, and not worry about you know clean lines because you're you're making everything is this post-apocalyptic <laughs> zombie yeah. flesh and yeah. And I'm and really cloth. interested to see if, to see what you did because I. Was, the technical paints you mentioned the two um technical paints from gw yeah um and how they look on the on the zombies because i had done uh, that whole first batch kind of without them um but now that i have them really interested to to try that because i think you can get especially i think on the or the org zombies using the what's the green one again the the wash is just coelia uh, green green it's it's not uh it's not a technical but um but using that and then with some of the technicals. I think it's Nightshade 2 is right as the technical one. Oh, Hexwraith Flame That's and Nighthaunt Gloom? Nighthaunt Gloom. That's what I'm thinking the, of. Yeah. The blue, blue-greenish. blue Yeah, I have a, I have okay. a bottle of that. Gotcha. That's what I was thinking that I really want to, I want to play with and see how Yeah, thin, thin it down. It goes on pretty thick, even though it feels like a, a real yeah. watery texture. I would thin it with some medium. So yeah, painting zombies. I'm excited to show you guys too because I'm I'm having some fun. I think they look good. Like at that 
that two feet away, they look awesome. I'm like, this is incredible. Then I hold it up close. I'm like, oh, I don't like this. But, but from, they only need to be from a, foot or, from a couple <laughs> feet away, like as you're sitting at the table, if you're not holding it up to your eye, I really think I'm, I'm getting a, a really cool look and, and I'm excited to see them like out on the, on the table. So Josh, you have been building a not quite leaning tower. Yeah. Uh, as I'm turning to look. So yeah, I've uh, one of my hobby goals was to get a piece of terrain done. I, I started taking some inventory on uh, what molds uh, from my Hearst Arts molds collection. <laughs> uh, I had a lot of casts done for, and the cobblestone wizard tower. Um, I, I counted it all up, and I'm like, "Ooh, hey, I have enough done. Let's start this process." Um, so yeah, I'm three quarters of the way done with it um at least in assembly um and then um i have it in pieces he suggests to to build it so that it's removable so you can paint the inside and stuff if you want but um in sub assemblies yeah smart yep yep so uh i'm I'm taking my time uh is there a big cool like iron bound wood door that goes on the front of it or um i i can build one uh i haven't yeah, it, 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 it the the front of the door actually looks like a dragon mouth when you're done. Oh snap! Um, kind of looks like teeth coming. So, it, um, I don't know if I'm going to do a door or not, but yeah, it's supposed to kind of look like a mouth ish. So, or claws maybe coming down. I don't know something. Yeah. It's looking good so far. Um, mm-hmm. What's nice too about the Hearst Arts uh, stuff is they take paint really well. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and incredibly easy to dry brush. Mm-hmm. I found when I've used like parts of them for all my basing mm-hmm. for my Death Army. Um, they just they pick up paint really easily. Because oh, it right, it has yeah. talking, it has so much more texture than plastic, though. Yeah, right. right. That, yeah. Yep. Yeah. The um, and that that's actually one of his things is uh, to put a lot of detail in things so that when you do, he, he's he's a big fan of dry brushing. Mm-hmm. So yeah, when you do dry brush, it it you know pops in the right spots. Mm-hmm. So um, so yeah, I'm having fun building it, and I'm excited to paint it. So more to come on that. And then I finished assembling all those laser-cut storage containers from, from foreground.co.uk, I think, yeah. Um, and, yeah, I'm, I'm really happy with them. They turned out great. So Excellent. They'll make great 40K terrain or gasolines if you put a Matchbox car by it. Right. <laughs> yep. I have a Matchbox car by them right this now, is- so it's gasoline terrain. It might be one of my favorite quotes from an episode ever. It's <laughs> where <laughs> you rip on Troy for it's fantastic. telling you that it's not gasoline strain just because it has matchbox cars sitting yeah. by it. Yeah. <laughs> Troy, other than, you know, ripping on gasoline strain, what have you been up to from a hobby standpoint? Um, I've been in the procurement part of the hobby. <laughs> and Purchase this hobby. That's cool. Yesterday, thanks to Mini Stop um, for all your gaming needs um i have the wonderful grandmaster adeptus titanicus box set that i opened up yesterday so so cool like it is that's was like, was that the picture of the uh titan cardboard standee yes you- and again thank you mini stop for throwing he threw this in and had again it was just a piece of paper so he actually had it like mark said swag on a little on the thing so i didn't just throw it away and then i opened it up and i'm like and it's this little yeah it's not very little it must it's pretty much the same size as i'm holding up my fingers for people who are listening it, um, it looks a, about eight eight yeah i think it's about tall. the same size yeah. as the actual model is 
Um, so I had I assembled that. So that is hobby too. I assembled. Yeah, it and yeah. Took a picture you, of it. You purchased and then assembled a yeah. cardboard standee. Mm-hmm. That counts. Mm-hmm. You know what I I think we should do, and I'll toss this out here on air. So I have to follow up. I'd like to get him on for an interview. Oh, That'd be cool. Yeah, yeah, about his business, how he's mm-hmm. built it, what he does. That would be so, awesome. Something to think about for our next hobby segment. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll have to get out there and see. And I, yeah, I already have him online for the next procurement. Since. <laughs> what's what's next? Uh, well, Tooth and Claw came out. Tooth and Claw, yeah. And so I'm gonna and think the, I'm gonna try and split that. And are you doing? You're doing the partnership um, split? Or uh, well, I think Eric? I think Eric's gonna do it. Okay, yep. cool. And then of course you can't just buy one thing from Mini Stomp. So a few other things on the. <laughs> You want to throw in something for me? We'll do a bigger order. Sure. And I don't, somehow I figured out Forge World told me I have like some kind of a voucher with them. I'm like, I don't even remember having a voucher. I wasn't going to talk about Forge World after their 20% price hike. Well, maybe that's why they gave me the voucher so I wouldn't complain about them. (laughs) Yeah. I saw something on Twitter and I confirmed that. Has something to do with foreign currency because now you can. They swi- yeah, I think because they switch, you can actually order in U.S. dollars now. And so I think what that did though is now they took out before you were always getting the exchange. You're always getting an exchange rate. Yeah. And now they basically have set prices, I believe, in American dollars that don't fluctuate. I think then they ended up putting a little bit of a little buffer in there. Yeah. Yeah. They so. they definitely. It's about fifteen twenty percent. Good looks to be almost across the board. I yep. know Titans, a lot of the 30K stuff, Age of Sigmar models, like the which yep. is stupid. The um, Morngul, which is a terrible war scroll now, went up in price. <laughs> yeah. Although I think they out. also announced that they're going to, there also is going to be America, uh, shipping from America for some things. Yeah, there will so, be a distribution hub for some of their so, products. So, so that will offset a little bit because if you're, you're, you're going to end up paying the same amount. Right, right. right. You're going to get cheaper shipping, but... Now that you're paying in American dollars, you kind of it, which is the same thing you had when you were buying at conventions. Like they would set the American price, which was if you'd figure out what the exchange rate was, you a weren't paying bit, that. You they higher. always were yeah. bumping it up. And then sometimes if you're like in Chicago, you were oops, I'm making noise. There we go. <laughs> uh, if you were in Chicago, then you were paying whatever level the local tax was and whatever else. So a lot of times it was like it wasn't even yeah. worth the buy. I'm like I was getting it cheaper by having it shipped. From over from from England, I, you had to be kind of careful on I what did, you were buying. I did see something funny today on Twitter about the Forge World price increase. It it basically said, and four million uh, Chinese students now have college paid for <laughs> because of the the people no. that'll go to eBay and buy the the knockoff stuff. I was like, that's <laughs> the poison resin. Yeah, the <laughs> that's the only thing is like, I who knows what that's actually made out of, oh, like. Yeah. <laughs> And the scale. The tough part too is if if it's one of the bad ones, yeah, it's cheap, but the scale's off, and it just doesn't fit with the other models, and the quality is terrible. So, I mean, Forge World is is Forge World, and people are still going to pay for it and, and buy it because they want the big toys. And um, yeah, speaking of paying for things, Kickstarter. Anyone uh, backing anything lately? After your Trogdor, did you go in and back like four more things? No? No, it was just all that night. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Troy, did you get some fulfillment? Oh, fine. Again, 
totally my fault uh, from Pandasaurus Games. I finally got my copy of Dinosaur Island the, from the original <laughs> Kickstarter. Um, and that was, the, that was the case where the danger of having too many Kickstarters where I had never actually done the pledge manager. And then I noticed it afterward that, oh, I should probably go and pay for shipping and all the other stuff. And I had kind of missed like the whole thing. And then it just got into a little bit where literally they didn't have like the whole first run was gone. Um, and I had to actually, what I did is I think I got one out of this. They just finished their second, that second Kickstarter. And they're going to get close to doing fulfillment for that. And I think in Dualosaurus and the things they did in the second Kickstarter. So they finally had a box that they could ship me and they were very nice about probably getting it to me. So excited to actually play the actual paper version of that. We've played the online version. And that box is, a again, like all these Pandasaurus, that box got away 10 pounds. Um, so really good components, you know, lots of those I'm, wooden dinosaurs and cool stuff. So really, really, I'm calm, really very fun to play excited it. for us to schedule a game night to get yeah. that that played, mm-hmm. and then go back to back with Kemet. It'll mm-hmm. be like a super game night. Mm-hmm. That'd be cool. Excellent. We're gonna do it. All your, right. Your postman must hate you getting all these heavy things shipped to you. <laughs> At least it wasn't uh, Gloomhaven. Right. I, felt, <laughs> I felt bad for the yeah. UPS yeah. FedEx guy when I I got Gloomhaven. So, Dinosaur Island, Pandasaurus Games, uh, John Gilmore's 1980s Jurassic Park ripoff, which I'm, I'm still amazed that Jurassic Park didn't get him for uh, copyright infringement. Because now it's kind of funny. Like, they did that game, and then it, this year at Gen Con, there's at least two other well, games Mondo that actually have Park. the Jurassic Park license yeah. and are doing games. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, I happened to be browsing Kickstarter. Um, perhaps it was for research purposes, and, and I saw a new game from renegade which uh renegade game studios who had partnered with um hunters so when we talked about them um they're doing uh power rangers heroes of the grid a cooperative (laughs) miniatures board game for two to five players the minis actually you know as far as the tv series goes it, it it is what it is it was poorly choreographed but incredibly popular uh television show when when josh and i were kids big fan um they show the models uh 100 over like 120 millimeters tall megazord goldar rita repulsa you're trying to stop rita repulsa basically as the power rangers um they all come unpainted but the the minis look decent it looks good um and you're trying to keep the city free of you know the the robots and the monsters that Rita Repulse is bringing, um, custom dice, uh, tokens, board, you know, kind of that zombie side style board, different zones of the, the city. So interesting. I, I definitely won't, won't back it just cause I wasn't a huge power Rangers fan. I mean, it, it was, it was interesting. I, you know, I've watched it, but the miniatures actually, it's worth looking at on Kickstarter cause I, I think they've done a pretty good job with it. Then I uh, I did see something else that I didn't write down, which is escaping me. So maybe I'll save it for next episode. Right. Oh, Rap Gods. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so at Gen Con, I pitched an idea to Josh about being a, a rap superstar, like a deck builder where you're a musician and you're trying to pick like your tracks and then you have, like, your manager and you do this. <laughs> On Kickstarter today, as I'm scrolling through, I saw this game called Rap Gods. This guy's trying to do like a... I don't think it's a deck builder. I think it's like a board game where you're trying to become a, a rap mogul. 
And I was like, oh, wow. Were you guys talking about this at a bar at Gen Con where people were overhearing no, you? No, it was or in a hotel the, room. All um, right. You sure it wasn't bugged or anything? In the morning before we even left. Okay. No, right. it was in the hotel room before right. we even left. <laughs> so a coincidence. Nobody's stealing your idea. Yes. But rap gods, check it out. It's it's funny. Anything uh, off Kickstarter? Important news in the, the gaming hobbies? Uh, just really quick is the uh, bundle of holding, which are kind of that... You know, they have PDFs of different, most of the time they're older, different RPGs and other games available this time. And they do it for a limited time. Uh, the Deathwatch RPG, which was the, the Fantasy Flight version of the 40K role-playing game, uh, is up there. And you can pick up all a lot of the books for Deathwatch pretty cheap. I think it's 16 bucks to get in for like the core stuff and 30 bucks, And you get about seven or eight books, which is, that's pretty good. I mean, they're still available, I think, on like uh, Drive-Thru RPG and you can also find the if you can find the physical books those also tend to be in the about the same price range they usually are about five to ten bucks now because that's out of print it'll be interesting there might be an inflection point um where they start to become rare and somebody actually collects a little bit because there's still a really good like 40k lore source on those um and the the death watch rpg was i mean definitely very playable yeah, uh, the the lore and the background material, especially because Wrath and Glory is still um, somewhat new, although they've advanced the timeline in Wrath and Glory to modern mm-hmm. 40K, and Death Watch was a little bit behind. As far as locations and planet names and information on planets, there's a lot of really good stuff in there for any game master to, to oh. reference and, and build into their campaign. Yeah, I mean, the whole, just the area, I think that Jericho Reach was the area that all Death Watch took place. And so there's a bunch of books that just really go in super detail of all that area, which you could yeah, and, literally use yeah, that for. And the chapters, like the mm-hmm. marine chapters and the, yep. the different, how they're structured and uh, whatnot. Yeah, so pretty good. I, I of course, own all those books already, so. <laughs> um, so just a, a little news from the podcasting world. Um, I know, I think I've talked about Heel and Hammer before, mm-hmm. how it was a podcast that kind of renewed my interest in Age of Sigmar uh, or fantasy for, for a short time. Um, they had taken a break and then come back doing like a monthly show. Um, they just recently, within the last few days, said they're they're now calling it quits for real. Like they, they just can't real life work, um, hobby, you know, hobby work life balance uh, was was not where it needed to be. So there is a um, you know a hole in that in that mm-hmm. podcasting community because Dan Dan Helen and Wayne Kemp were um, just fantastic podcasters. That was my that was my favorite Age of Sigmar podcast, and I listened to that before I ever even thought about playing Age of Sigmar because I just enjoyed it. Like the, that show was just entertaining. They kept it like it was at the right level mm-hmm. of you know it wasn't like they were they talked about the different rules and stuff, but they weren't doing like hardcore army list stuff they did that i think on some of their paid um, the subscription saucy, saucy awesome and stuff like that Club. so they definitely were could could talk at that level but the general show that they did um twice a month originally and then kind of every other month when they came yeah. back um, just super entertaining and those guys did it and then they, and they run that uh, south coast gt too which was yep a huge, I huge they, tournament i think i imagine they'll still keep they, doing they that they said yeah. we're not stopping yeah. you know tournaments we're not stopping playing and hobbying we just can't do the the hours that the show yeah. requires yeah and i think it was one of those where when they came back it sounded like right they they couldn't do the show the time that they were devoting to the show they didn't feel like they were giving it wasn't fulfilling to them and what they wanted to be doing and so yeah rather than do something that they weren't happy with they 
kind of hanging it up, which is unfortunate, but you can definitely, right. I mean, we do this for fun and if it ever stops being fun, we, <laughs> we're not going to do yeah, it. Right. So yeah. it, I definitely understand what the real life gets in the way sometimes. For sure. Um, so after our last show, um, uh, the death saves. So Joe Manganello's, um, I don't know, apparel line, yep. I guess. Yep. Um, I, I started poking around on, on the website there and, uh, saw the death Knight shirt and it, it sort of spoke to me. So I'm like, all right, I'm going to pick that up. So that was, uh, just a quick purchase that I saw out there and there's a lot of cool stuff out there. He has a lot of interesting shirts. So, and, and, and buttons and pins and, all sorts of cool coolness so i would recommend checking it it's out it's pretty yeah he i mean he's been on I mean, what's funny he's gone on like a media tour on all yeah. major like not like geek media he's been on tonight show and <laughs> all that other stuff right it's kind of funny to him uh to go through it but it's he made it basically right cool he's one of us and so he's like i want cool stuff to wear mm-hmm. and he made got a license you know worked with the D with wizards to actually license the stuff and yeah there's some really cool Real cool things. A lot of old school. I mean, definitely he's, the vibe is kind of that old school heavy metal. That's what he talks about. And so yep. some pretty cool stuff there. Yeah, it's pretty But neat. it's selling out like crazy. He's like, yep. yeah, well, again, when you go on a media tour, right, across everything, but. Yeah, I happened to catch it. So the that, that shirt, the, the Death Knight shirt actually sold out. And then I just happened to see a tweet or something saying it was back in stock. And I popped in there and I'm like, that's actually really cool. All right, I'll, all right, I'll buy one. <laughs> All right. Well, that gets us through uh, playing and uh, hobbying and kickstarting, purchasing. So we're going to take a little bit of a break. And then when we come back, we're going to dust the cover off some books and talk about the Basement of Death Library. Welcome back. Hope you've got your library card. We are diving in. Going into the Basement of Death Library segment where we talk about what we've been reading, uh, listening to, or, or watching. Basically, our, our chance to expound upon our media consumption. Um, I'll, I'll kick it off. So a few episodes back, I, I briefly talked about this, uh, this book I started reading that was a genre called Lit RPG. So literature role-playing game. Um I then read all seven in that series that are currently available, uh, and and just have gone to another series of lit RPG books, and I've read the first two of those. I can't stop. It's it's truly becoming a bad habit. Um, so the the idea is they are they are fictional uh, accounts of players that are playing computer like massive multiplayer role playing games. But the the book reads in a way that you are seeing prompts that they get on their screen or when experience is gained and leveling, so it'll show, you know, what their stats are, where they put their points, and it it tells it the narrative plays out as if you were seeing this person playing a game. So for a uh, recovering World of Warcraft addict like me, it is <laughs> incredibly dangerous because now i'm reading these books and i'm starting to think as i as i you know do the podcast with uh, with mark for ashes of creation mm-hmm. i'm worried about what is going to happen to me in 2019 um the the books are not well written 
by any <laughs> by any stretch of the imagination. I'm glad you admit that. Yeah, that way I don't yeah. have to bring that. All right. No, they are. Um, I even catch things at times where I'm like, did was there an editor, like an actual editor? Um, because you know, just proofreading and <laughs> yeah. stuff, and sentence structure and uh, verb tense, like little things that we notice because we read a lot uh, of other stuff. Commas. Um, yeah, commas. Who needs a comma? <laughs> Um, and, uh, so, but the, the story at its core, yeah. um, the first series was the land by Alarin, uh, Kong. He writes about a character that is called a chaos seed. So the concept is in this game called the land. Um, it, it actually is this alternate world in which there's this pantheon of gods that have been exiled and their way to try to get back is to bring um, mankind in is these elements of chaos to open rifts in the world. So the guy's playing a game, he goes into a dungeon, he touches something and it's in the future far enough where virtual reality is, is a thing. And he touches this object and then gets pulled through and he's a character in, in this game world, but everyone is aware of their stats and their ability points and skills. Like even the, the NPCs, you know, the non-player characters that he meets, um, and everything is referenced through the game, and it's it, <laughs> it's I, it's one of those things where I have to imagine having never read a trashy romance novel. <laughs> I jokingly call it my trashy romance novels because the story is is at times predictable. Um, the guy you know references things in the the real world, like he references Firefly, and he references other <laughs> other things that are pop culture. So why is a guy you know years in the future <laughs> still referencing some of the things i mean mm-hmm. a little bit of a throwback but so it has elements of ready player one and then mm-hmm. it references the pop culture of today's time mm-hmm. uh in in the future um i don't know it they hooked me they're just <laughs> i'm tearing through them i read all seven books that are out now i'm waiting on book eight uh I wouldn't be doing this, I don't think, if I hadn't subscribed to Kindle Unlimited on Amazon. So for $10 a month, you get unlimited downloads of over a million titles. Um, And a lot of it's this independently published stuff or books that have been out for a while. um, Stuff that, you know, would be a $2 or $3 Kindle purchase if you were going to buy it um, anyway. So that's The Land, Ellering Kong. I don't know. <laughs> it's not for everyone, uh, certainly, and it's it's not, you know, highbrow. It's uh, it's pretty pretty common. Like common denominator is action tropes. I mean, everywhere. Like the the central character is brash and self interested and <laughs> doesn't care about other people. I mean, it's not like there's not much depth. It's just the world, the game, the experience, and I'm but I'm tearing mm-hmm. through it. Yep. So, and you, I'm trying to figure out what the. It sounds like because you're you were an RPG player, like you're you're there's familiarity there. You're seeing yeah. the things. You're getting the enjoyment is you're seeing the story, and there's and it seems like that because when you look at the reviews, because you got me interested, I'm like I'll at least peek at this. And it seemed like super polarizing. Like you look at the people who are like, like you talked about, like these aren't written well. How can anybody would do this? And then the other people like, I just really enjoy it. This is fun. I'm having a great, and it's it's like hot or cold. That's it. You said it is I'm having fun. I'm reconnecting to that, that junky vein 
that was, you know, playing eight hours a night of World of Warcraft, going to bed at two, waking up for work, checking my timers to make sure before I went. Like, that mm-hmm. lifestyle, which, thank God, I escaped from. Um, but it lets you relive it a little bit, right? Is it, that yeah. It lets me relive it a little bit with this guy's leveling up. You're seeing where is he putting his skill points. You're seeing what skills or spells, stuff like that, that he opens up and adds to his character. So there's there's that element of connection to that that style of game and then this the character is living it so you're living vicariously through that character and that's a big part of my enjoyment is i have to imagine this is kind of like the the dime novels of Mm -hmm. yesteryear i mean it's it's not it's not a high level of entry it's not difficult to read um that's an inter- right. That's a great comparison, probably to the older like pulp. What the true pulp yeah. fiction used to be, right? Yeah. Where you had these very you know smaller kind of very action based books that people read, and so yeah, maybe that that kind of parallel. And so once I got done with the seven that Ellen Kong has out, I was like looking on Reddit for other lit RPGs, <laughs> like popular ones with hits, and I found this one, which is actually better than The Land and better. The author is Travis Bagwell. I think he was an attorney that in his 30s played a lot of multiplayer games. Then he said, I've always wanted to be a writer. So he started writing this book, uh, Awaken Online. 2074 virtual reality game with an artificial intelligence that runs the game that starts to improve like life for the characters in it. It accesses their memories and will pull in memories of theirs to interact with them in the game. And this one, though, what's cool in the first book, Catharsis, the character is a high school senior that gets expelled for standing up to the administration at a private school and dives into this game where he gets a chance to pursue his own self-interest and gains the attraction of one of the six deities called the Dark One and becomes a necromancer. And he's truly, like, builds himself up as a villain. So you see him indulging, like you know, slaughtering people and doing these things that are evil, but they make him, they make him one of those antagonists that you like, like you're pulling for. So it's, it's, it's better written than the last one. It's still not great, uh, not great writing, but I'm enjoying it. And once again, it's the same thing. He's, you know, he's building his empire, um, as an evil necromancer, raising the dead, connecting with NPCs that are like zombies that he views as giving another chance at a better life. So that is uh, Awaken Online by Travis Bagwell. And I think he's got three or four books out. I'm hoping he gets another one out soon because I'm just finishing these so yeah. quickly. Um, I don't know. what else, So what have you been reading while well, I've been diving through uh, Pulp Fiction? Um, so the I'll go with the my favorite book recently. And I had waited for a while. This had been on my list for a while. A Peter F. Hamilton book. And if you know Peter F. Hamilton, writes space opera, known for writing really good space opera. And I had previously read, and I totally would recommend, uh, Pandora's Star and uh, Judas Unchained, which leads, he sucks you in because Pandora's Star is like a thousand page book and it's only half the story. And you get done, you're like, damn it. <laughs> I need the next. And then, so then you got to go pick up Judas Unchained, which is the next thousand points or a thousand points, thousand pages of, of the story. So I had um, the great North road sitting in my audible for probably a year to read. 
another one of these giant and i think on audible it's like a 32 hour book <laughs> on wow. uh to go through um and i so once i got it i got into it and i'm like and i didn't really know anything about it except peter of hamilton space opera and i really enjoyed those other books all right time to dive in and what you learn very quickly and i totally enjoyed it this is one of my few five-star books and then what you learn quickly is the north what they mean by race north north road the Norse are actually a family of kind of these guys who were very intelligent and they actually like move technology forward in terms of one of the big things in this world. I think it's the Commonwealth is kind of his, a lot of, all his, a lot of his books take place in the same kind of world that he has. And the idea is they've really, if they've created the idea of doing like a wormhole, but a wormhole that basically is almost as functional as your door. So basically you can almost anywhere have, you know, and, so they're a large mechanism. So like somewhere like there'd be the grand central station instead of it being a train, it's just a wormhole and the train goes into there. And when you come out the other side, you're on a different planet somewhere else. And, and that's how they've, the, you know, humans have kind of colonized out. And so, and, and once you get the idea of, you know, wormhole technology, all of a sudden things become, you know, when you think of that instead of space travel, right. Becomes a much different kind of universe. Um, so really interesting in how he, has so there's you know, i wouldn't call it hard sci-fi because you have to kind of make a jump but he you know everything kind of the world makes sense so, once you kind of understand that this is the technology that was developed so is there a central struggle or is it following just like so here's what this is so great north road so that's kind of the these north family is these are the and they ended up being um like there were three brothers and what they did is they wanted to kind of be immortal and live kind of forever but what they did is they actually then also that they're super intelligent guys who kind of built technology. They cloned themselves. So they, they wanted to kind of create this whole organization and corporation of clones of themselves. So they all end up being brothers. And that's where this North family kind of comes. That's where the title comes from. Um, so they kind of sets up that world. And then basically there's three brothers. One of them is on this one planet. One of them still on earth. And one of them um, actually went to Jupiter this took a whole group and kind of went off by themselves to settle around Jupiter. And he's kind of super um, moves technology forward kind of stuff. But what's really cool is then the, really the chain that you're following is it's uh, a police detective in a city on one of these um, worlds. That's a lot like England, um, you know, snows a lot and whatever. And basically one of these North clones gets murdered. That's kind of the, the trigger and and that goes kind of through this whole thing um, hmm. for 30 hours. And then there's another, there's a whole, like a typical Peter Hamilton thread. There's about two or three other major plot lines. There's Angela Tremello, who's um, basically someone who was in prison for a while and she gets released because, which is related to this murder. And so it all, very you know, all these twines that you're like, how are they going to, and eventually they all start to mesh and kind so really interesting. Again, I'm, as I went in, I'm like, you know, you're kind of committing to this 30 hours and thousand page book, um, but really enjoyed the story. And um, yeah, so I'd highly recommend if you like that kind of space opera and long ranging story. And again, along with the other Peter Hamilton books. So I have other ones kind of queued up, but I have to always kind of be ready to go for when I'm going to dive in. Cause it actually takes me about like when I'm reading or listening 
they take me almost a month, I think, to kind of get through, depending on this one. Actually, I think I got through a little faster just because it was so good. You're kind of like, all right, I'm doing the dishes. I'm going to list. I'm going to mow the lawn. I'm going to, right? <laughs> You're trying to find anything you can do where you can throw the headphones on and kind of keep, keep it's, going uh, It's It's funny, but Audible has made me hate traffic jams a little bit less because uh, oh, yeah, i don't yeah. mind listening to an extra 10 minutes of yeah. fulgrim if and now i uh, spoiler alert that's what i'm listening to currently <laughs> um so peter f hamilton great north road and what was the you said his first one or uh, the pandora star pandora star and judas unchained okay. are, are the ones that that's how i got in the, that was the ones recommended highly recommended to me and it was kind of we that was uh probably like 10 or 12 years ago and uh, there was a bunch of people that I, I was at work actually and it got passed around it was funny we were all kind of racing to reading about the same time to get through that thousand pages and be like how far are you i'm on page 651 and right because <laughs> we were all really excited we were talking about it so excellent uh what what else have you been i see here a little expanse uh yeah the expanse and ty frank and I get the other guy's name. So one half of James S. A. Corey. Curry, yep. Um, I think that's funny that it's two guys that write together under the name James S. A. Corey, but neither of their names are James or Corey. Yeah, I think it's their middle names is actually where it where it comes from, uh, if I remember it or something. Um, and they say which ones are there. And I'm trying to think, Dan- Daniel. Can't I should have, I should have had it on the tip of my tongue. It's it's all good. So Josh and I are going to write a book using our middle names, and your initials is our author name. You want to be first? Do you want to? Should we be J. Michael T. Weiss? Should we do that? We could use Troy's whole name. How about John? T.W. Michael. Ooh, yeah, John T.W. Michael. There we go. Oh, there we go. All right, so Expanse number seven. Daniel Abraham and Ty Frank are the two people that make up <laughs> James S.A. Corey. And what was cool is they were actually at Gen Con this year. They were special guests. And so I basically, I'm like, oh, I kind of like penciled in like, oh, they're going to be there. They're going to be doing some talks and seminars. I really want to go. But I haven't really read Persephilis Rising, which is the newest book in the expanse series number seven so i power listened to that thing on the week before <laughs> gen con finished it up literally the tuesday before gen con to make sure i was caught up just think so I, when i would go to the you know a lot of times people aren't usually spoilery but sometimes there's some questions and a lot of times you get more context if they're talking about when this character shot things. that character and somebody exclaimed this what were you actually trying to tell yeah, us they they were pretty You're like thanks jerk yeah like, there were no questions like that luckily although i almost i probably would have asked something like that if i was going to i almost stood in line to ask and i was going to ask a little bit small spoiler is book book basically it's kind of like three arcs book 1 through 3 is kind of the first story arc um, that's very to where the, the like the TV series is now. I believe is kind of in that arc. Things change dramatically from books four, you know, four, five, and six um, in terms of the universe and and things like that. And of course, the Rosinante is right in the middle of everything, like normal. And then that kind of closes that arc. Book seven starts is what they've said. This is starting the last three book arc that's going to end 
um, the whole kind of this version of the expanse. They may do additional stuff kind of in the universe, but it's pretty much going to end the, the, you know, the stories they're going to tell in the expanse. What they do do is they do jump the timeline significantly between book six and seven, which was really interesting. Um, and it'd be great to ask, I mean, really understand what was, I can understand why they did it from some plot points, mm-hmm. but you create like a whole how, bunch of challenges. How around, far are we talking? Like, uh, like decades. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So it, it jumps, you know, significantly ahead. So you get all kinds of different, like it created, I would think a bunch of challenges, but also opened up a bunch of opportunities, right. From the, where they wanted to go with the story. And so it'd be interesting to know, like, is that always where they were going to go with it? Uh, and I really, again, I think I gave it five stars, really enjoyed this one. Um, I enjoy most of the other ones. I think only like book four was one that I wasn't as excited about, but, um, Persepolis rising. Yeah. Just to start. It's interesting. Cause it's now it's kind of like when you can see the end coming, I'm really excited to get, and they've been pretty good about knocking these things out pretty much within a, you know, within a year or so. So imagine within the next year and a half, two years, we will wrap up the expanse. But if you haven't read the expanse, if you like the TV show, keep doing it. And it was great to listen to those guys. Um, I'd done a bunch of, not, I knew that they were going, I kind of read some previous interviews and um, tried to get some more information. And I didn't realize uh, Ty Frank uh, will tell a lot of stories about George Martin that he used to work for him. And so there's a lot of uh, song ice and fire stuff that he used to work on. And, uh, and so he'll try to turn to a lot of a lot of stories about George, which is kind of funny and how they got together, like the different writer. They're all in the same writers group. OK. And what's interesting, I think I talked about on Kickstarter. Now the Expanse RPG is available on, you know, on Kickstarter. It basically started out as an RPG that Ty Frank ran for these this writers group of that played role playing games down in uh, I think he's in Albuquerque or something like that down there. Um, that's crazy yeah so it's like uh, it's kind of come full circle so uh, yeah really interesting guys really good um, it was a great interview um, that they you know in panel that they did at Gen Con so I was really happy that I got to kind of sneak in and do that and it was going to be a good reason to like catch up on those books so. excellent well so most of my lit RPG reading has been ebooks I've been listening sporadically to uh, Fulgrim right now. Um, back in the 30k Horus Heresy of of Black Library books, I'm not liking it. It's taking me a while um, to get through. I, I just the the past four books. I think Fulgrim's the fifth one in the Horus mm-hmm. Heresy have uh, painted the heretics in Horus and. Um, Mortarian, Angron, some of the other Primarchs in a light that you, you feel, I don't want to say bad for them, but you, you understand. Fulgrim and the, the Emperor's children are just all, they're, they're dicks. They're dicks. Like, there's nothing to like about them, so it's hard for me to care um, about what's happening with that Legion. So I, I won't go into much more depth because I'm not done with it, but it it's very hard to to have any kind of connection to that chapter and those, those Marines. So maybe there are fans of the Emperor's children out there. Maybe there are fans of Fulgrim. Uh, it, it's not me and it's, it's a struggle at this point to, to really keep, 
um, keep getting done. And I'm, I'm not sure where I'm going to go after that one. Cause after Fulgrim, my understanding is you can kind of pick and choose the narrative arcs, uh, expand quite a bit, but you've been doing some black library. I have, uh, it's funny. Yeah. Ty, your review sounds a lot like mine that you can find in Goodreads. Um, yeah, it was not. What's interesting though about I'll just say on Filgram is it was that was the same thing struggle for me to get through, not one of the most enjoyable books, but it's also exactly what you would expect from the Emperor's Children because they're supposed to be dicks. I think it. I think it. You know, for Graham McNeil, I think he he was up like I don't yeah. know how you approach that book in a different way. Um, it, it captures the yeah. chapter for sure. Yeah, I, um, I, the only thing I think of is do you do. Again, and maybe this is a little bit of the difference, right? Like, if a Dan Abnett would have won in that book, I think he would have tried to come at it from a like totally different angle, right? Maybe from the point of view of the characters. I think he would have, right? He might have tried to, like, you look at all his different books, right? How he's usually changes stuff up, yeah, tried to come at it in a different way that made it maybe more where you had some character that you could grab onto and have some empathy for because right now there's no like that was my my review on that thing too right yeah. there's nobody i care about in this book because everybody's a dick and um but that's the whole point of the emperor's children um <laughs> to get through just a big bag of dicks yeah um and that's almost um they worship <laughs> slanish anyway don't they um <laughs> yeah so that's where it ends up i so, have been so come 40 books later uh, I just finished the Slaves to Darkness by John French, which is the latest and greatest. And the Horse Heresy um, brings us right up to kind of the, the Siege of Terra. We're going uh, to. Which. The end. I, can we take a minute just to talk about that announcement? <laughs> so they've, they've said that they're ending the Horse Heresy and start as a series, so 40 to 50 books. And starting the Siege of Terra as a series. Now, what they haven't said is how many books is that going to entail, and what are we all going to learn and see here. But since speculation, that means it, we could be looking at ten to twenty novels. I mean, I, I wouldn't be. I bet you it's a double digit number. So I, I think we're going to yeah get a double digits of books to get this which, whole. Told. Which is very interesting because when you think about the events of the Siege of Terra, it, it's a relatively condensed story and at least in the the lore so i wonder what kind of depth we're going to get and where it's going to go where else is it going to go with with that storyline so black library kind yeah. of i mean it's their cash cow right so yeah they're gonna, yeah it sure they're is gonna find a way to do it but it sounds like there's probably like the whole um, horse heresy there's probably going to be out of those let's say there's 12 books there's probably going to be four to five that are central the central and you, again i do it by looking at who's writing the books there's probably gonna we know that there's an um, aaron dumsky bowden has one big one in there that he's working on that we know is one big one abnett's probably got a big one in there i think mcneil's got another i think you look at those guys they're gonna have kind of the linchpins and then my guess is then there'll be some other smaller stories mm-hmm. they're gonna be told around that um that you're gonna see um so, yeah, I, it'll be interesting to see how it It definitely sounds like they're running to the end. We probably only have two to three years of the Siege of Terra. So how many books can they pump out in two to three years will be the, the interesting part. Although it's Aaron Dempsey Bowden, so it could take him five years to finish up whatever books he's gotten to 
to do, mm-hmm. depending on. But they'll be awesome when they are there. I suppose we'll see how much he writes, given how bad the Phoenix Suns play this year. <laughs> yeah, you won't have to spend time watching basketball. Yeah. Uh, but Slaves of Darkness finished. I think I went, I don't know, four, four and a half stars on that. It really is, just again, no spoilers. It's kind of the, all the, you know, Horus and all the other Chaos Primarchs trying to get themselves in line because he basically Horus has got to kind of herd the cats, right? As they make the, the jump from uh, just into the Caesar Terrace. So really, again, you got all the big Primarchs in there. Except Motarian, he's not there. I don't know what he's doing in this book. He's off somewhere else. But, <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, really focused on Horace and some really, again, really really cool scenes where they kind of flash back and some stuff. Really puts Horace in an empathetic light, which, like you talked about, right? You look at these guys, uh, Horace, um, Lorgar, somewhat. I mean, he's always been through the whole thing. This kind of weird, kind of tragic figure. Uh, in there, Lorgar is doing it. The um, who's the Iron Ferris Manus? No, he's dead. Fulgrim. Spoilers. It's not a spoiler. He's dead. Fulgrim cut his head off. Um, <laughs> wow, I didn't get to that part yet. <laughs> <laughs> That's not even a spoiler. That's just lore. That's just forty k lore. Um, no, the other one, but Pertabo, 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 yeah. Uh, he's awesome. Um, in this book uh because he's kind of a and then a lot of it is basically again is it a spoiler everybody knows that i mean fulgrim is full demon prince angron is full demon prince or demon yeah at this point and so basically horse is like all right how do you get these guys to even listen right it's like trying to get josh to listen that's uncontrollable i listen so, so really cool. John French, I'm really liking John French is one of my favorite, you know, one of the many favorites here in the, in the 40K universe. But yeah, a lot of stuff good by, by John French. So you're only about 40 bucks there. So. so then it looks like, according to our reading list, you've also been reading uh, additional books by John French. Yeah, it wasn't entirely intentionally. I Mostly because Slaves of Darkness just got added to my queue last minute. Uh, before that, I had read The Harrisian Wars Resurrection, which is John French's, what, what we call modern-day 40K. Is that what we call it now? His book about, it's about Inquisitor Covenant uh, and his war band and kind of the, there's a, a traitor. There's kind of the, one of the opening scenes is there's this big gathering where one of the Inquisitors calls all the Inquisitors in the, in the area there because they're you know kind of bad things are happening and he wants to get over there and then at that kind of in the first thing so again minor spoilers but not this is how it happens in the first chapter basically um everything goes well that that kind of that that gathering gets attacked and then all kind of hell breaks loose and the plot kind of goes from there pretty good book really good what's interesting is as you had you know dan abnett and eisenhorn kind of has set the stage for an inquisitor war band so it's really interesting to, of course, you know, you're going to compare this to the to the Abnet books, and so I think John French does a good job of differentiating. How do you make, you know, you're going to have the familiar things, right? You have the Inquisitor, and you have his kind of war band, and you have, you know, the tough guy, and he's got some, you know, the, all the henchmen kind of are playing similar parts, but different. He's differentiated enough 
from what you saw from like it, to make it its own thing and interesting. Uh, and there's some really cool, there's also a rogue trader that he works with who is some really interesting, really cool characters. I think those are some of the most interesting characters. And you see a little bit behind the scenes in like the, the navigator houses and different parts of 40 K that you didn't, don't really get explored in a lot of other books and a lot of lore. So it was uh, interesting there. And I, I, there's a pretty good, I think an interview with John French on the independent characters. You look back uh, about a year or so when the book came out, I think. And uh, so I, if you listen to that really interesting stuff uh, where Carl talks to cool uh, to John French about the book. And so I would recommend interesting. It's a little different, different take on it. Um, and uh, I enjoyed it. And it's a first in a series. I think the second book is out now. And so I'll probably pick that one up. So, you know, the Horesian Wars Resurrection. All right. Any other uh, Black Library books or? Yeah. And I, I oh, man. I've been doing the, the, the 40. You got it. One gotta, trick pony. Yeah. Well, they're, <laughs> they're kind of in between. I did read. We're not even going to talk about it. I've been also chugging along on Dresden, but everyone has read Dresden. Uh <laughs> So we won't talk about that. Really enjoying that. That those books get stronger and stronger as that series goes on. Yeah. Like book 11, book 11 or 12 or something like that. Yeah. I'm, I'm um, anxiously awaiting the, the next one. Yeah. And yeah. I'm, so I'm trying to get caught up before we get there. The next book I've read is Devastation of Ball. So you would be interested in this one, Ty. Your good old Blood Angels. That's right. This is kind of the follow-up in... This is Guy Haley, who also wrote... I can't think what the first one that came out with the eighth edition 40 K dark Imperium, dark Imperium. But basically it tells kind of the, what's the current state of 40 K, right? The world, the world's kind of moved ahead a uh, hundred years. And, and that was that book. Good, but not great. Uh, mostly it's kind of just telling you, you're giving you the background. If you're new to 40 K, that's probably a really good jumping point. Devastation of ball is telling that same thing. Like where are the blood angels in the new kind of universe, it kind of spans kind of back the when the, the kind of the rift opens up. Um, but basically, it starts out basically Ball is getting attacked by is it Hive? One of the Hive fleets. Hive right? fleets. I won't get it right. I don't know if it's Behemoth or one of the other ones. They know they can see him coming. Uh, Dante basically calls out to all the sons of uh, Sanguinius every chapter that uh, gets called to come in. So, really, I mean, if you're a Blood Angels fan, right? Because they basically hit a lot of this again, not super deep writing, but just a lot of fan, you know, fan, you know, whatever you want to call it, right? Just a lot of name dropping. Name dropping. People are Mephiston, like, oh, that's pretty cool. Dante, like, yeah, Mephiston shows up. The Flesh Terror. The Flesh. Yeah. Oh, I, yeah. and I'm a huge after this a Gabriel Seth fan. Yeah. I think if I ever do, well, it's going to be Flesh Terror's army. Um, big fan of him. Uh, so he's in here. He's a pretty good, um, pretty good section there. Uh, but it's a lot of bolter porn, like a lot of just <laughs> at some point tearing up tyranids, tyranids, and, and just shit like combat description. Yeah, and so like that's the part where I'm like, how fast can I fit? You know, listen to this um, <laughs> to get to the exciting? Because uh, so really, yeah. So some pretty good setup. I you know I put this at a three and a half four star book. Um, it pretty enjoyable. Again, there's going to hit some cool things that you're going to be familiar with. Like, Oh, this is what Mephiston's doing. And you don't see him in a lot of books and cool stuff and Gabriel Seth. And then you kind of like, there's this huge battle, the huge battle when the Tyranids hit and uh, it goes on and on. And there's, I mean, if you're, it's written well, it's exciting, but in the end it's just like action, action, action. And, and you get to the end and then it kind of, 
sets up where our um, also introduces a good again part of it is setting up the lore point for why are the primaris marines like how do the primaris marines integrate into all the new chapters so that's part of what this book does is kind of set up the lore for how how does that stuff make sense how does you know the tabletop make sense now in the lore is really kind of interesting yeah they they have to make primaris marines part of the canon right. so um because they're they're there right and they're in all these chapters so then they have to write them into the right so i think they do a decent job of like narratively how does it all make sense and, and there's some pretty cool thing you're not gonna like the end of the book i don't think but um <laughs> uh, i'll just say i that, mean the the title devastation of bali you right. know bad stuff's bad happening to happen the, yeah. the home planet it, it, the in the end at all in the end who knows yeah, the Angels are still here right? we'll survive that will survive but it it basically sets up you know gets them up to this current the current timeline we, of, we just need sanguinous to be reborn and all uh, will be well yeah not there's there's some really cool scenes Again with Gabriel Seth, and there's some cool. There, there's some really cool. Does the Sanguinaire show up at all? Do you, what do you want? No, how, okay, shit, okay, no, no, no. Do you want to no, know or not? No, like, no I don't spoilers. know. I'll yeah. read it. Yeah. I'll read it. I, yeah, I would. I think you like as a Blood Angel fan. I, need to, I think yeah. you're gonna you're gonna get enough enjoyment out of it. And you, like I said, you might it might be one of those where you don't listen to it. You I listened to it, and it was a little bit of a slog for me. Mm-hmm. Oh no, I should. I said I did read it. I read it. I did not listen to this one. Uh, I even read it, and I still was a slog for me uh, as I'm flipping through <laughs> the the shooting of everything. Um, but it, there's these scenes that are like, oh, this is so cool, but you have to get to them. Uh, so, you know, there's probably 10 to 12, I think, really, really cool scenes that you get to, but you have to kind of get through all the other, okay. other stuff. So, um, so I don't know what that is. Like, uh, yeah, I feel like you should read it if you're a 40K you know, fan, one to understand where the current lore is and get some cool stuff. And if, if you're a Blood Angels player, you have to you read it kinda, because it's your chapter. Yeah, and it's, and you see all the all everybody everybody's there and get there. So cool. All right. Um, let's see. I know you. I'm gonna have to delay again to another uh, Basement of Death Library because you want to talk about Armored Saint. Mm-hmm. We've been talking about Armored Saint for a while, Mike Cole. I am excited to read it, just not enough to put the ipad and the lit rpgs down that i've been injecting into my bloodstream <laughs> it's a tiny uh, book it's i know not even very I know, long and i bought the hardcover i own it i've read 30 pages and there it sits on my coffee table where i think i'm always going to pick it up and read like after work or you know before i start watching some some shows or something and it doesn't i go to the ipad where i can read in the dark and read there yep. i have this i have the same i have the hardest time reading physical books now it's, it's just not convenient for, yeah. for how I read. No, yeah. yeah, it's tough for the time. Like, I do a lot of my reading after everyone's asleep. Yeah. Before I fall asleep, I read for like an hour or so. I'm exactly the same way. And yeah. I can't flip the light on and be like, "Oh, sorry, hey, I'm going to read with all the light on," and uh, mm-hmm. not care that you're sleeping. So, um, we'll we'll table that one for three months from now, and we come back and do another yeah. BOD library, and then we'll probably I read the second of, book in that series. By yes, then. probably, and we'll review them both yeah. uh, at that time. Um, but you did read uh, or listen to the first Iron Druid book by yeah. Kevin Hearn, um, Hounded. Right. Now, I think you you and I may have a differing opinion on this one from yep. your little bit. your early comments. So, what did you think of the Iron Druid? So. I called it, I was, 
interested like because this book i had high, high reviews right you had talked about it i'd heard some other different people who are really excited about this series and i think that's where my i'm going to qualify right i think the series reading the first book i was not amazed i was not i didn't get grabbed by it i think there's a couple things there one i i have a hard time we talked about character empathy i have a hard time I, it's interesting like he's a super interesting character being this two thousand year old character but i think that also makes it difficult to empathize with him because you know it's hard to make uh, somebody who's two thousand years old as human and it, i think hern tries to do it and that you mentioned something else about pop culture references mm-hmm. i think that's one thing that took me out of the book is where he makes a lot of pop culture references to kind of semi new pop culture and you're like if i'm in my mind i'm like the guy's 2000 years old he's not like he's gonna give me references over 2000 years and so that took me out of it just a little bit okay and also i did not i listened to it and i was not a fan of the narrator i don't he, he was totally fine but i think he'd made some weird choices in terms of the voices he used for things um oberon he kind of used uh, like a clowny kind of oh kind of as for the voice of the dog yeah which didn't quite like Oberon should have been like he's a little more of like a tough an Irish wolf hound yeah. not this kind of clowny you know um, and again I don't know what voice you do use for a dog like right because it's interesting he right he communicates with the dog um, that's one of his kind of one of his powers right so, yeah they have like a mental link where they yeah. they so Oberon does talk uh, so I some of it I don't know that it's entire again entirely like that the audio performance might have took a little bit out of me sure. too but I part of it I think was just like how do I empathize with the character and get into it and again the guy a person who's again super spoilers right somebody who's having sex with god-like beings it's hard to like like really grab onto it i think it's a super interesting character right this really interesting thing i'm just trying to figure out where's the human where's the angle where i can grab onto it and have an emotional kind of grab to it and maybe it takes more books in the series but where where i started to to feel a connection to um the central character the the iron druid is when he talks about the loss, uh, he talks about druids being hunted. He talks about the ending of the line, like um, death of you know his his wife several hundred years mm-hmm. ago and the last woman he loved. And like you get this human element of somebody who has outlived everything that they were born into and and had, and you see that isolation and you start to see that detachment that you're feeling that detachment. Right. Um, you see that as, as a loss that develops empathy for that character. Right. And, and that's why I'm totally, I'm not like out of this series. Mm-hmm. I, I like, I compared again, totally different things. And we talked about a little bit, the Abnett and John French and like an inquisitor book. I feel like this book gets compared to Dresden just because you kind of have this urban fantasy and, you know, wizardist type person there. Uh, and so in my mind, I'm doing the same thing. And again, the, the first Dresden book is not a, not great, right? It's not a great book. But again, the promise of the series is what kept me kind of yeah. going through it. And now, like I talked about the latest Dresden I read, and especially the last few, right? I have, every one of those books, I have an emotional moment in that book where you're literally like broken up because of something, either that Dresden or whatever. Um, I'm way, and kind of like, I'll probably read a few more to see, do I get some of that? Because that's what I, I, I kind of enjoy, right? That's yeah. The, Thing. so 
yeah, I'm like hounded. It, it was good, but it wasn't. Yeah, wasn't. I'm, I'm hoping there's yeah. some more promise in the series as I kind of probably read a few more and see if it can kind of grab me. And maybe I read them. I would I would recommend that too. Yeah, and because uh, I'm I'm worried that the if the it's narrator, the narrator took me out a little I would, bit, I yeah. would definitely read it. Um, I bought the last book in the series, the eighth or ninth mm-hmm. one, I forget, and I've been holding off because I, I don't want it to end. And I know <laughs> it's the last one, and he said, you know, this yep. is it because he's moved on to Plague of Giants, mm-hmm. which I've talked about in, in other books. And I'm like, oh, I just I don't want to lose this series, so. All right, uh, that's a lot of reading, a lot of titles. We will uh, try to put our um, our syllabus up on the Basement of Death Library uh, .edu um, for the fantasy science fiction literature course you're taking this semester. <laughs> uh, and on my to do, I will. I'm going to keep updating the Horse Heresy reading list um, with as I keep adding more and more. Yeah, I mean, there's uh, Wolf Spain is one I need to kind of go back. What's interesting is Wolf Spain, the one where Russ goes after Horus. Uh, it actually happens before Slaves of Darkness. It was one I'd kind of skipped. Um, I may go back and just skim that to to, to pick up a few things that I sure. and that they reference in Slaves of Darkness. Like, oh, that's interesting. It'll be again. I don't know that you need to read it. I've heard there's some cool things. The big mechanics guy, um, who's the big guy in 40k now, Belisarius Call, Belisarius Call is shows up in that book. So that that's okay. again kind of cool to uh, maybe cool to kind of go back and pick that up. So I'm going to kind of hit some gaps there, but and keep keep the the reading list updated so so that Ty knows exactly yeah, his path set a path the, for the darkness there. So all right, so Josh. Um, You've been kind of quiet there behind the microphone. I want to engage with you? What uh, what have you been watching as you consume your media visually? Yeah, so um, there's a, a, a cartoon series that I hadn't um, or I'd heard about a, a while back, and I never actually watched it. So uh, I jumped into the Awesomes. Uh, it's Seth Meyers' um, it's superhero team that um, the the main character's dad used to run and he was like the best superhero in the world and superheroes and the government worked together and they like the government would fund the superhero teams and things um well at least the awesomes well um with his dad leaving i think it was mr awesome or whatever his name was i don't know um uh government cut their funding and they said, you know, you have to prove to us that you're, you guys are going to be awesome again. And so they have this ragtag band of, of superheroes. Poorly funded superheroes. Exactly. Yeah. Cause everybody else was like, oh, we're not getting funded. We're out. And so all the good superheroes left and they're trying to band is it, back together. Is it like adult, like mature audience cartoon? Or? It is. Yeah. Okay. For sure. For sure. So yeah. I, it, it sounds because it sounds a little bit like the plot of the Incredibles mm-hmm. movie, <laughs> a, a little bit, yeah. But it, it it it's a different spin on it, a little bit, and it's definitely not kid friendly. Okay, so. and that that yeah, so not kid friendly, adult oriented, and it's on which streaming service? On Hulu. Hulu. Okay. Yep. So, uh, pretty fun. Um, I'm four or five episodes in, and I think there's three seasons, so um, more to come. But yeah. I like it so far. It's good. Excellent. All right. Anything else or? Um, no, I've been doing mostly hobbying. Lately, I, hey, so. no complaints there. Yeah. I don't know where I fit in the time to read and watch. Yeah, I don't. I don't know where you um, do either. 
it's it's kind of kind of strange but i feel like it's i cut out sleep and i do all everything you know after hours so <laughs> i think that's the the model i'm going to follow until i just burn burn out <laughs> um Speaking, so i wanted just so have you guys seen this um the trailer for that new disenchantment on netflix yeah yeah matt cronin's yeah. new show um I showed the trailer to Nicole because, uh, and I said, "What do you think?" So I think we're going to watch that yeah. one. Probably try to watch that together, having enjoyed The Simpsons and with a fantasy spin. Uh, the trailers are hilarious, oh, yeah. so mm-hmm. um, I'm I'm pretty excited to check that out. And it's out now. Uh, I think right, it yep, just came it, out yep. it, just a few days ago. So um, <clears throat> definitely looking forward to that one. And is that on Netflix? Yeah, yep. that's okay. a Netflix one. Cool. So find the one friend that supports four or five other people on their Netflix account, and you can uh, you can watch. Beautiful. Um, so I went to the theaters to see Whoa. Lord of the Rings uh, a couple weeks ago. Um, Landon and Nicole and I went to the the Bistroplex here and had lunch and watched the Sunday show. They brought uh, the Marcus Theater Group here brought back the Lord of the Rings movies. And I think it was because it's probably 20 years since the first one released. I think it was 98, uh, or darn close to 1998 when the, the fellowship was in theaters. Um, so I think they connected it to that or in advance of the, um, that happening. Then, uh, they showed the extended edition. So we went and ate lunch and watched the fellowship of the rings on the big screen. So last weekend we watched two towers at home, uh, cause, uh, Landon, it you know we hit we hit about an hour left in the movie. That's a long movie, <laughs> yeah, so he did an awesome job, uh, and he was enjoying it. But then you know starts to get a little anxious, asking questions. When can we go? It's like movie's not over. <laughs> like the best fight scene <laughs> in the world's coming. Um, and then watched Two Towers, and it was cool to see Helm's Deep again. I'd kind of forgotten mm-hmm. you know how great that that uh, I love that siege, battle. Yep. that battle was. So I think this weekend we'll try to watch Return of the King. Um, but each Sunday, Monday, Wednesday, the Marcus Theaters have been showing the Lord of the Rings movies each week. So, like, the first week they did Fellowship, then this last week they did uh, Two Towers, and this weekend and next week they're doing Return of the King. So, And our fact checker is telling us uh, 2001. Yeah. So yeah. three years off. Okay. So I, so I have no so, idea why Marcus is. Yeah. Because they got you to go to the theater. Maybe that's it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They advertised it. Like, they yeah. had flyers out. It, I mean, um, it would make sense that it would be, like, a, a year. Uh, it like felt significant like about 20 years. So. Yeah. 17. It's close. Close. Yeah. I'll take it. I think that happens when you get old, right, Troy? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. You, start you just to, get close. Yeah. Like, it all blends together. <laughs> close 10, 20, 30 years, it's just it all, so, all the same. <laughs> so uh, kind of another thing that's interesting, we, we talked about Ivan Van Norman and We're Alive Frontier Season 2 a little bit when we talked about Outbreak Undead, where he is, uh, they record kind of similar to Critical Role and other uh, streaming content um, on Geek & Sundry's Project alpha which is like their own network you can get a 30 to 90 day like trial usually and then watch a lot of the episodes um and it's the outbreak undead in based in an old podcast that was like a done in the vein of like a radio play Mm. um so that's the world they're in with his streaming game and their next season's coming out uh, pretty soon so i've i went back and started watching season one because i hadn't watched that when it was out <clears throat> um, and that's pretty good. And then two other podcasts I just want to reference real quick. 
I knew I was forgetting one last episode, and I made up some weird comment about our own show. <laughs> um, it was actually Lords and Heroes. Oh. So uh, Adon and um, Justin from the Independent Characters started their own Age of Sigmar and other gaming podcasts. They joked for years about mm-hmm. that's their other podcast and Lords and Heroes. Well, they recorded an episode. It's focused on Age of Sigmar. Um, they're now on iTunes. The first three episodes are out, uh, and it's kind of interesting. Um, they, uh, they, they are good podcasters. Adon is a great host. Justin provides unique, you know, kind of hobby aspect. Um, I would say it's, you know, it's not the best age of Sigmar content. I think they both have some learning to do on the game itself. So they're speaking to the, the rules and the models and, naming things you know but adon has gotten real involved in the event scene doing like yeah, a he runs a ton of stuff and other there, stuff yeah. with Shadespire and age of sigmar so that's really cool to see um and then we may have talked about tim ferris a few times on the podcast before he's more entrepreneur like i don't want to call him self-help guru but that's like life yeah. improvement basically yeah, learning. He's really learning. all about learning. I mean, that's what I I'm I am a total Tim Ferriss disciple. So um, and yeah, he is really all about just learning and constant learning, you know, in life. He did one recently where he went inside a maximum security prison and he talked to three of the prisoners that do the podcast behind bars um at this facility and talked about the path that got him there and he said I've always been interested in like, you know, everybody in life, your your life could in a moment, go a different direction based on who you surround yourself with. He said, I have friends who have been incarcerated, you know, and he gets their story and they're involved in a program about actual rehabilitation. Um, and these are guys that, you know, might be serving life sentences mm-hmm. and to hear how intelligently they speak, the questions they asked him Ferris and that dialogue when he's in the room with them. I mean, um, he got clearance and they let him bring in his equipment to record uh, and it's he talks about the program that um, they're a part of, but it was just a really cool episode. It's like an hour and a half, hour and 40 minutes. Um, and you hear he's usually talking to millionaire investors and investment gurus and, you know, medical health like professionals and other other people. And he's yeah. behind bars talking to three prisoners. I think two of them were like uh, in for life sentences right. for murders. Um, and, and it's it was mind blowing just to hear him connect and talk to these these three guys behind bars no that's cool i have not listened to that one i'm interested i saw the title i'd be really interested so yeah i'd love tim ferris if you want to get into tim ferris i would say there's an an interview he has with tim uh terry cruz if you want to have one of the most entertaining shows ever uh just interesting and totally like terry cruz you'd think of some you know actor muscle-bound actor oh not like yeah, he goes. Yeah, he's much more than that. It's really interesting to hear that, and some really personal stories too. So, um, and then, so I'm just gonna keep thing real interesting. He talked with uh, George Raveling, who's the 80 year old basketball coach, uh, recently. Uh, the guy has amazing life lessons to share, and that's what I love with Tim Ferriss. So he finds these people, and just you get these amazing nuggets of um, people that you've never, you know, that you've never really kind of heard from, and he was able to have that long form interview and yeah, really, yeah. really depth. So. Totally love it. Excellent. All right. We're going to take a real quick break. Then we're going to get beyond the table and behind the mic with Josh, the true beard Koopman. (laughs) 
Welcome back. Let's uh, hashtag beyond the table, hashtag behind the mic, and those hashtags are there so that you can find it on Twitter. I learned that the other day, that hashtags are actually something you can search by. You didn't know that? <laughs> I knew. I'm just <laughs> trying to be All funny. right. All right. Be clever, you know. Haha, <laughs> dumb tie, the podcast host that doesn't know anything. <laughs> I'm not just a pretty voice, Josh. Um, so we but you, thought... But you are that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> we thought that we would, um, you know, turn the camera around, so to speak, and uh, ask you a few questions, try to get kind of... We've, we've dabbled in origin stories, mm-hmm. and we've talked about gaming backgrounds, but these are you know, more of an alternate form of question that really will get to the core of your, we're, we're going to actually analyze your answers and figure out a psychological profile when we're done. So these are really like gamer profile questions. Are you, are you ready for this? Sure. Yeah. Let's, let's do this. All right. So your first foray in tabletop gaming, like actual hobby gaming, it's probably magic. The gathering. Yep. Um, Maybe Dungeons and Dragons from a role playing standpoint. Yep. So what what drew you in? Was it theme? Was it actual gameplay? Or was it more the social aspect of those games? And and what specifically do you recall? Well, so I'll I'll be honest. Um, my my cousins were really into magic, um, and they kind of showed me the game, and um, I got interested and was playing with their cards for for, for the first little bit, and then we went. Uh, to their local game shop and bought some cards and it kind of just snowballed from there and it was just collecting cards and trying to beat my older cousin he's three years older than me and my younger cousin uh, is a year younger than me so uh, Casey my younger cousin and I were always trying to beat my cousin Christopher because he's a little bit older a little bit smarter a little bit more cunning um and yeah, that was always our goal. We were trying to take him down. So, so competitive aspect and yeah. the collectible like acquisition disorder started. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And cracking the packs. Like oh, smelling the smell. The, yeah. What the, was the, the release? Board. Oh man, I don't. Know, I don't Come even on, know. What was um, in the pack? Was that like forgotten, forgotten empires or? Probably on there. The first, revised. the first crappy one. So it would have been when I don't know what was out in. Gosh, pre Ice Age, right? Yeah, pre Ice Age, right around there. Probably right yeah. around Ice Age. So right around that third mm-hmm. revised. Yeah, yeah, that sounds about with the right. Starter boxes that had like the. Yeah, where it looked like a big card. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um. Actually. I remember getting a, um, a chaos orb. So that's the, hmm. you flip it and whatever cards it lands on, it blows up, right? Um, no, that's not it. No, it is. I just have terrible memories of that. Oh. Of my my single foray. This isn't about me, but the my single foray into competitive magic was playing some dick with a chaos yeah. orb. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, it lasted like a whole, like, that explains so much. Five minutes of like, Hey, let's play my first. We went to some like hotel, like down by Brookfield. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, I'm gonna sign. I'm gonna do this. Playing some guy who had this, um, you know, just boom, 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 boom. I'm done. Like, oh, I guess that really wasn't fun. Like, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I had a, the giant cast orb, and I ended up trading. My cousin swindled me into trading it to him for <laughs> you know peanuts because that's what cousins do. Yeah, older kids, right? Not cool. And then yeah, D and D. 
I was really into those solo adventure uh, books. I think we talked about mm-hmm. it in one of the previous podcasts, but um, yeah, the, I had you know a character I would you know go through those with, and um, that was always fun. Uh, I had a group with um, you know Matt and Dave and Ty and and Barry. What, what was your first character's name in that campaign in high school? <laughs> with you guys, it was yeah. it was Tito. Tito the Elf. Yeah, where is Tito now? Uh, he is in, um, what was it, the Deck of Many Things? Yeah, the Oubliette. Oh. Yeah, he got sucked in. And in the Oubliette, he's in prison somewhere, and we couldn't go get him. You guys didn't go get him? Absolutely not. Have you guys watched, watched Critical Role? Death? Not to that point yet. Okay. Yeah, that, was, right. that was fun. That was, I mean, that's a good story to tell. I mean, it was, it was kind of funny. And Tito. Poor Tito. Poor Tito. He's so, somewhere waiting to be saved. And that happened fairly early in that session. So, yeah. like, the rest of it, I was just, like, hanging out and eating pizza or whatever. I didn't even... Yeah. yeah. So, I'm going to have to ask. I have to place it in time here. So, what mm-hmm. version of D&D? Was it AD&D that second was, edition? That was AD&D. That was second mm-hmm. edition. Thacko yeah. and... Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also had another game group I cheated on you guys with. Uh, so, that was... Uh, Tim and Brad and Alex, they were in my grade. Um, we would play D and D as well. So, and Tim would usually DM. Not as cool as we were. Not as cool. Definitely not as cool. But yeah. All right. Okay. So magic and D and D. Now, on the D and D, you know, there's a lot of dice. We we all have a lot of dice and dice collections. But what kind of dice are you, and and why? Um, I'm probably a D six. I'm versatile. Used, you know, I, I like a lot of different games. I like to. Okay. I'm, I'm into a lot of different things. Um, Some more multi-purpose. Yeah, we'll cross go, system. We'll compatible. Go, we'll go pips because I think okay. you like me. So I do like you. So yeah. you're more than likely pips. If you're numbers, I'd be right. like, Josh, so D6 pips. Yeah. Maybe a fun color. We'll throw a fun oh, color okay. in there. Maybe okay. uh, you know, like a blue with red pips or something. Yeah, it, it all looks the same to me. Because it all looks the same to you guys. Exactly. <laughs> you, you, you saw where I was going. All right. So six out of dice. That's interesting. Um, yeah. Now I'm going to go to the next level. Mm-hmm. What kind of, if you were your own personal magic card. So I'm, I'm opening a pack and I see Josh as a magic card. You know, what? what's your mana cost? What's your central rule mechanic or two? You know, you could have multiple abilities. Mm-hmm. And then your power and toughness. Um... I would I would definitely be a um, enters the battlefield. I would have an enters the battlefield effect because, um, and and, and I, I'm always a fan of bouncing cards and, and doing things as they come out of the play, the battlefield. Um, I, I love my friends, so I'll be a I'll be a four four vigilant, uh, and I, I bring a a one one vigilant knight along with me or a vigilant warrior or whatever. Oh, okay so a token yeah you bring bringing, bringing people with me right? and what so what's your what's your mana cost ah, like, so you, four four vigilant you're probably you're probably a six mana cost okay because you're bringing an mm-hmm. a one one with you a vigilant and yeah. what what colors do you align with what's your mana uh, it's probably blue white blue white yeah. yeah you're a pretty good guy control situation okay yeah, yeah. what do you think troy is that that fit? Does that yeah, check out? I think so. As much as I know magic anymore. <laughs> All right. Um, I'll hand it. I'll hand it over to you, Troy. I know you've got a few more questions. All right. We're gonna jump over to miniature world. Mm-hmm. All right. If if you were in Age of Sigmar miniature, what would you be? I'd be a 
Amutolith Vortex Beast of Zinch. Whoa. I'm, I'm on all fours. I've got like tentacles coming out of my mouth. I've got an aura that's like destroying things all around me and making Ty crap his pants. <laughs> wow. Wow. He's gone full Zinch. Yeah, I know. Cool. Yeah. Where do you sleep? I mean, wherever wherever I can. What do you eat? Um, the the bodies of the the destroyed. Cool, cool, cool. <laughs> well, uh, and and what color are you? What color is uh, that? Like bl- that black and like glowing, like uh, blue and purple. A void. A, a what? A mutilith. Vortex beast of vortex zinch. beast. All right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Wow, that sounds yeah. a lot different than your magic card. That's for sure. It, yeah. yeah, it's it's yeah. it's a different game. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Mm-hmm. So, what was your first game store that you walked in and went, oh my god? So, it was actually fairly early in playing Magic. Um, well, so I, got, I have two. I have two, mm-hmm. and they're sort of separate. Um, early on in playing Magic, I walked into um, um, Wondrous Realms. Uh, it was across the street from... Uh, Carroll College at the time, which is now Carroll University in Waukesha. Um, My alma mater. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they had, you know, magic cards up front. You could buy singles, and they had, uh, you know, packs, you know, behind the counter. But it was all disheveled. Everything was sort of all over the place. <laughs> and then they had uh, some rows of comics. And the farther you went back in the store, the darker it got. Like, all the light was... Early. So it was like a cave. And you could see cool stuff back there, but you didn't want to go back there, right? So, and and you know, I'm a young kid at the time, so I'm getting dropped off. My mom's waiting outside, so I got to make this quick, and I'm not going to adventure deep into the cavern of whatever is back there. You don't know. Uh, it, uh, it was actually a Warhammer. Uh, it was a Warhammer yes. in the back, the later, back shelves. Later on, I found out it was Warhammer, and <laughs> and actually, so um, that leads me into the other one, uh, Adventure Games Plus. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, that was where Ty and and Dave and Danner and uh, and Barry and I um, would go and buy our our 40k miniatures, and um, yeah, that Man. that uh, well, and there was two of them. Um, there was one on High 100. And then there was one in in Waukesha, um, and it, it, those were great stores. You know, you, you yeah. Could, you yeah well, Wondrous Realms actually became Adventure Games Plus. Oh, did it? Yeah, yeah. Ah. Adventure Games Plus owner, one of the guys, bought Wondrous Realms. Yeah, but the, that, yeah, I spent a lot of time at that one in on Hundreds. Yeah, High One Hundred and. Uh, and it moved a little bit around that area. It was on, yeah. I mean, for people around here, Rumbleoid yeah, or whatever. Yeah. So, but that was like the game store. Yeah, mm-hmm. awesome play space downstairs. Yeah. A lot of tables, mm-hmm. rooms that people could run role playing mm-hmm. games in. Um, yeah, that was a cool store. Missed cool. that one being around. Indeed. All right, all right. My final question, mm-hmm. and you can kind of take this wherever you want. Um, okay. What is your either kind of dream gaming kind of purchase or a destination or maybe like a group of people or some kind of event or group that you're just like what what would be like an ultimate kind of oh so okay so here, here's my weird brain ready i would love to win the lottery and just have a ton of disposable income gather all my friends together we live in the same neighborhood like kind of 
kind of off the beaten path a little bit. Like a compound? Like a compound. Then, so out the, out the back door of all our houses, like we're in this, in this big circle or something, right? Um, is our, like a big building. Um, and it sort of, sort of resembles like a, like a pavilion out in, in a park. Um, but all the door, you know, all, all the, it, it can be open air, but you can close all the, like those bunch ro- of like garage doors recently. Yeah. Those yeah. roll down garage door type things. Okay. So that, you know, when it gets cold or whatever, or windy, you can close it down yep. and you, know, we'd have TVs on the walls and really nice game tables. And, you know, if, it, if we have a few too many beverages, there's actually little rooms attached where, you know, if you don't want to stumble all the way back home, you can just pass out yeah. there. Lots, you know, all the Tito's you can drink. How, how many of our marriages would survive that arrangement? <laughs> or right there. Or right there, yeah. Yeah. That's the beauty part. Come on. We're right We're there. We're right there. You needed to go. I'll just be all back on. Don't yeah, worry. I'll be back. Right. right. Yeah, you need, I'll be home for dinner. Yeah. yeah. Okay. You're not too far yeah. away. Let's quick. I'll mow the lawn and then we'll go play some 40K. Well, and the, and the beauty part <laughs> is too. Yeah. You could you could start a 40k game and be like, all right, let's pause it for now. Sure. I got to run home. I'm come back home. after the yep. kids are in bed. Got to put the kids to bed. Yeah, and I'll be back. Yeah, yep. every night we can get three. together and play. All right. How awesome would that be? Yeah, let's start buying lottery tickets. Yeah. And you know, maybe this is right now we can start planning for retirement. Mm-hmm. Like retirement community. We all, yeah, we all mm-hmm. move in the same retirement community. Okay. And I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to live a little longer than you guys, but that's all right. That's, <laughs> this we'll main just retire building earlier. Is, yeah. <laughs> and the main yeah, you guys gaming building has, has morphed a few times in my head, but yeah, we'll yeah, yeah something cool. Something I see awesome. it being kinda like an arena where it's down a little bit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean all ideas are welcome. All right. Well, thank you, Josh. That was uh, was eye opening. Learned a lot about you. I think you know we'll have to file a complete report with the league office and let you know what we what we find. Thanks, buddy. Um, but maybe this is something you know we can ask uh, the the rest of us at a future time. Change up the questions a little bit, but hopefully that lets you guys see a little bit more about you know the the host, the producer, the true beard, Josh Koopman. So, wonderful. Now, as usual, of course, I'm going to drone on and on and on about events coming up and try to plug and support some of those uh, those tournaments and, and things going on. Um, so, first and foremost, uh, so on Facebook, Beverages and Board Games at the Great Lakes Distillery is back. I think there's one coming up at the end of September. Uh, beginning is, I think, September 7th and then early September. September. Yeah, and I think they also announced some dates in October and November. In too, October, uh, right right before Halloween, and then November. So the next couple months, that'll be back, which is always fun with Brian and Aaliyah. Um, the, uh, I think they're Board Game Bistro um, on Facebook. Um Chaos GT, Huntsville, Alabama. Uh, Jacob Burleson is putting on a AOS tournament uh, two-dayer. It's at a game shop where they have bar and food. So it's like one of those gaming cafes, which are down south. And why don't we have one here? Um, then you've got FlatCon, October 12th to the 14th at the Interstate Center in Bloomington, Illinois. Just a couple hours down the road from us here in uh, Milwaukee. <clears throat> that is a lot of different miniature events. Um, but definitely check it out. Mini Stomp is uh, providing a lot of prize support for, for those events. Then you've got the dual convention weekend, RockCon and Dragonfall, going on October 19th to the 21st. And RockCon, obviously, in Rockford, Illinois. 
Dragonfall in Elmhurst, Illinois, just outside Chicago. We've joked a little bit about attending both, why I choose one <laughs> when you can drive an hour and a half to go to two in one weekend. Mm-hmm. Weekend after that, Essen, going on uh, Essen Spiel in Germany. Um, hopefully I get my passport in time. Should have no problem. Got to expedite it. And then get back from that and go to Holy Havoc. Man, this is sounding like certain like <laughs> burnout, hobby burnout. Um, the weekend after that, though, is Game Hole Con, and that's what it's all about. Great local convention in Madison, Wisconsin. Tons of gaming industry, celebrities, uh, people attending. Um, can't wait to see who's all there. It's, it's uh, truly epic. And that kind of wraps up the convention, the fall of conventions and tournaments. A little bit of a lull uh, over the wintertime before uh, anything really happens around Adepticon in the mm-hmm. spring. So we will be at a few of these events. Uh, don't think we'll be at all of them, but um, we'll let you know what, what we see. And we might we try. We'll be close. but yeah. <laughs> um, In the meantime, though, certainly uh, keep listening. Definitely love feedback. Leave us reviews on iTunes. Um, after you listen, let us know what you think. You can reach out to us on Facebook or hit us up on Twitter at Playin Slayin Show. And that's P-L-A-Y-N-S-L-A-Y-N Show. Uh, or, of course, the website basementofdeath.com where Troy always puts up each episode. And then uh, certainly the, the blog posts. The, uh, we reference the Horace Heresy reading list, which is a great resource that Troy put together with some reviews and a, a map of the um, Black Library Horace Heresy series. Or shoot us an email, ty at basementofdeath.com, josh at basementofdeath.com, troy at basementofdeath.com, or info at basementofdeath.com. All right. Well, thank you, guys. This was a blast. And everyone, keep the dice rolling, the drinks on ice, and no matter what, keep playing and slaying. I did not put the My Little Pony Friendship is Magic Volume 1 and Volume 2 on my list. Even though they're pretty good. The Return to Print of Queen Crystallis and the Changelings. Mm-hmm. And then um, Volume 2 is where um, the moon gets mad again and Luna, Princess Luna, has to try and save him but rarity gets possessed and becomes nightmare rarity <laughs> yeah yeah mm-hmm. so what, cool. what happens what happens then um then the other the other part of the main six the other five have to get the elements of harmony why do you egg him up <laughs> they have to get the elements of harmony to try and rescue and convince basically they go and they do they turn Nightmare Rarity back, back into that? Yeah, because you know, it's all about friendship. So they talk <laughs> about their their friendship and they yeah. get them back. They get oh, her my back. God. Yeah. Yep.
So I, nobody dies? Mm, yeah, there are no deaths mm. in this. But there's a lot of action, a little comedy. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of action. A lot of action. A lot of right? action. They do. Well, Cars the uni- exploding. No, the unicorns are super <laughs> like magical. Like a Michael Bay film. Yeah, well, the unicorns are like... <laughs> Twilight Sparkle, you ever see her like the weapon, her her horn? You ever see that? <laughs> you guys are missing nope. out. Oh, I haven't. What are is, you guys gonna play? Do? Are you guys gonna play in the My Little Pony role playing game? Nope. I, if I run one, yeah. With, yeah, yeah, man. Can yeah. I be? Can I be the cool horn lady? You can have a unicorn. You can choose what kind of pony you want to be. Oh, sh- oh shit! <laughs> They're not pregens. <laughs> Bronies, the <Yeah>. RPG. <laughs> We don't play with dice pools. We play with dice bags. Ooh. Get it? Bronies. Do we have to dress up? (laughs) Only if you... I'm sure... Can we dress up? (laughs) You you totally can. I'm sure Sarah has a lot of things that you could... She could borrow. Oh, no, no. I'm good. You got it? You got it? You're all set. I'm good. I'm all set. See, you're... Josh, you're trying to... You're trying to downplay it. But Mm -hmm. inside, I can see your excitement. You're like... Barely containing, like, oh my god, we could role play My Little Pony. There, I mean, I'm totally serious. I actually have one of the books. River Horse did has a My Little Pony role playing game. I haven't and, been able to get my Applejack costume out into the yeah, wild see, yet. There we go. So, mm-hmm. you hit record at some point, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I got that. <laughs> Thank God.